Hey everyone, welcome to Mountain. If you're joining us online, we're super glad you're with us. One of our campuses, happy Father's Day. Um, and it's fun to see more and more people joining us at our campuses every weekend as well. Really glad you're with us. It's Father's Day. We have to start with one more dad joke, right? Because actually it's, it's sad because even though it's Father's Day, Carla's really mad at me right now. I changed out our bed with a trampoline. Oh, she hit the roof, I'm telling you. Telling you, that's a pretty good one. What's the difference between a frog and a cat? Anybody know? Frog and a cat? Here's the deal. A cat has nine lives, but a frog croaks every night. Come on, give me a little, little love, little love. Now that's it? All right. I think these are pretty good dad jokes. By the way, did you hear on I-95, the, um, a truck carrying Vicks Vapor Rub fell over and crashed and all the stuff went everywhere. It was but strangely, traffic didn't even back up. Yeah, it's like... No congestion for hours. Just amazing. All right, that's enough. I'll put you out of your misery. Happy Father's Day. Today, I want to tell, uh, tell you about a guy who is a real man's man. He was like the whole package for sure. He seemed like he had it all together, but he made this important discovery, and his life changed and got so much better. And I feel like it's every dad's story, every man's story. It's be honest, it's every one of our story. And I want to tell you about them. And I also want to just tell you right now, today I feel like is going to be a really special day. One of those days where we welcome the presence of God to just move in a sort of powerful way. I'm going to invite everyone right here in real time, wherever you are joining us from, to take a step with God today, to trust God for whatever he's asking you to do, and we're going to ask everyone to make that decision right together at the end of our time. And for some of you, it's going to be baptism because that's clearly the next step for you if it's a step you have not yet taken. And you'll notice at all of our campuses, right behind me and at all of our campuses in person, we have pools set up and we're ready to jump right in the water with you. And we're going to offer that for anyone who wants to do that. So if you just would agree with me that we're going to kind of Open our spirits a little bit to what God might have for us today. I think that's what he would want, and I know that's going to be what we want at the end as well. So I want to introduce you to the guy that I'm talking about. By the way, his name, it kind of sounds like a palindrome. You know what a palindrome is? It's like when the letters of a word are the same forward and backwards. So like Bob, Dad, or my favorite, Taco Cat. Think about it. This guy's name is Naaman. It's not quite a palindrome, but it sounds like it. Go back about 2,500 years. There's this powerful king by the name of Ben-Hadad II. And that's interesting. Think of his name, Ben-Hadad. Like some of you call me Ben. My kids just say, hey, Dad. That's how you remember the king. Ben-Hadad, he's this massive king. And over Syria, he's got a number one man who's in charge of so much, a commander of his army who's helped him amass all this wealth and all the great kingdoms. And that right-hand man is the name Naaman. That's the guy we're focusing on. Check out his resume. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 reads like this. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory. He was a valiant soldier. Can you see how impressive this guy is? As I said, he's the whole package. He's a commander. When he speaks, he's used to people saying, yes, sir, Mr. Naaman. He, he makes things happen. 
He's a great man, it says. The reputation with the king is good. He's got a lot of victories under his belt. He's the guy that's on cover of magazines. He's Tom Brady, LeBron James, that kind of dude, right? Notice also he's not one of God's people. He doesn't know the real God, Yahweh. He doesn't know the Lord. But God still used him because God works through anybody he wants to. His motto and the bumper sticker on the back of his car was, I'm in control because he was always. If he's got a problem, it's not a problem because he'll get a bunch of guys to go fix it or he'll get the king to throw some money at it. He's one of those kind of guys, right? He's always in control. He's a, maybe he's a control freak even. I don't know. But maybe he was. You know, a control freak's favorite joke is when the control freak says, hey, I got a joke for you. Knock, knock. And you say, who's there? And then they say, control freak. Now you say control freak who? That's Naaman. Okay? That's Naaman. He's like everything in its place. Have you ever noticed how much we're like that and how very often it's the things that stress us out the most are when we begin to feel we're losing control of something. Anxiety comes in when, you know, our kids or our spouse or, or someone around us does something that's out of our control. We watch the news and it feels like everything's spinning out of control. It's where our anxiety comes from. It, it, it brings up insecurity in us and it reveals the cracks in our perfectly ordered, controlled world, right? And if we're in control, it's a very nervous place to be. Maybe... That's what's so interesting about throwing in a pandemic, right? Because it forced all of us to really realize, man, we have no control. But what do we do? What do we do? Well, we ran to the store and we bought toilet paper. Why did we do that, do you think? I mean, did we all suddenly come down with the runs at the same time? No. <laughs> Is it because we thought toilet paper was going to be the cure to the pandemic? No. Why did we go buy toilet paper? Because it's the only thing we could think to do to give us a sample. I know there's a global pandemic. It's sweeping the planet, killing people, and everything's closing. But don't worry, I've got Charmin. Because it gives us the sense and the illusion that we can do something that leaves us in control. And that's Naaman. His motto was, I can handle it. He's capable and strong. Except for one thing. I didn't show you the end of his resume. The end of verse 1, after talking about his commanders and his victories and all of that stuff, here's what it says. He was a valiant soldier, but, but, he had leprosy. He had leprosy. Do you feel the weight of that? That but in that sentence, I don't mean to be crass, but that's a big but, okay? He's got a big but here. This is a huge deal. Think about this. Leprosy was so devastating, a horrible, debilitating skin disease. It meant that your days were numbered in quantity and quality. It's like saying everything was great for him except he had stage 4 terminal cancer and he's in hospice. Or everything was awesome except he had full-blown AIDS. So when we say he's the whole package, that was really just what it appeared. This one who had a, he was the whole package, but he actually had holes inside, didn't he? Hollow places where he really needed help, where he needed supernatural intervention. And don't we all? Armando said, you know, I was doing really well at work. I was crushing it. I was hitting the numbers. My boss loved it. I loved it. It was like an adrenaline rush. Everything was up and to the right. It felt awesome, except I ended up spending a lot of nights at the office and more time on the road. And then the pandemic hit, and I had to start working from home. And when I got home, my wife said, I don't want you here. 
I don't even know you. I don't love you. And all of a sudden, the whole package had holes in it. Another said, my kids were compliant. They were good. I thought everything was great. But I don't know if it was the divorce or introducing a stepmom into the picture or living in two places sometimes. But, man, when they hit middle school and high school, man, my ex pitted my oldest one against me and the other one just sits in his room on his phone and won't even talk to me. I think they're all depressed. Maybe I am too. For the first time in my life, I have no idea what to do. Another said, I loved being around Mountain. I joined a group, and I got involved with some guys, and we were studying the Bible and growing, really. But then the pandemic hit. We met on Zoom for a while, but I ended up just being on my computer all the time, and I just ended up wasting so much time binging on Netflix and playing games and mindless stuff. And I started drifting over, and I started watching some porn. And then I tried to stop because I felt awful, but then I did it again, and then I did it again. And then eventually I felt like I couldn't stop, and I'm too embarrassed to share it with my group, or it's a secret between me and my wife, because I, I don't want to admit that it's even true. My friend Brian had life by the tail, cooking along with his career. Everybody loved him. Nice home, but then he got esophageal cancer, and it just upset everything. And he often texted me things like this, I don't control anything except my attitude, and I'm choosing faith, joy, and grit. Friends, we're, we're all in that same situation that Naaman was in. There's a lot of stuff on the resume that looks good on the outside where we look like the whole package, but inside there's holes. Behind the masks that that we're wearing for the pandemic, even though we're taking those off more and more these days, it's like we're still hiding some stuff, aren't we? And think about, think about leprosy for Naaman. You know what it was? It was this horrible thing. Your skin flaked off, and it was awful like that, but it's actually a numbing of the nerve endings. You're, you're numb, and then you might, you're going to cut your hand off and not even know, you know, cut, off, cut yourself and not even know it, and that's how you end up really getting into trouble. And people thought of it as defilement, like you were dirty, so there's shame associated with it. And you would have had to get it by being exposed to someone, so you had to rethink all your past actions. Where were you? And you have regret about past actions. And some wondered if it was punishment from the gods, so there was some kind of guilt often associated with it. And it was contagious, so they isolated you in quarantine, and so you were cut off and lonely. And just left people feeling depressed and sad and anxious and not too hopeful about the future. Look at that list. That's 2021 right there. Every one of those words is like an epidemic itself off the charts with the way that we feel right now. Friends, we're all lepers. Simple. You're a leper. We look like the whole package sometimes, but there's holes inside. We're not in control. We can't fix everything by writing a check or calling somebody, spending a little more time or working hard. Life doesn't work like that. And we need help. And Scripture reminds us that the worst part of our leprosy is this virus called sin. And I can give you a rapid test right now 
If you're alive and breathing, you've got the sin virus. That's what Scripture reminds us. And we all kind of know it because we feel the hole inside anyway. And we need help of a supernatural kind, just like he did. That's where Naaman's story starts to get pretty interesting. Um, he had this young servant girl from Israel. So, like, they had raided Israel at some point and brought her into the house. And she's a servant for his wife, Naaman's wife. So he's the opposite of Naaman. He's powerful. She's like a nobody, nothing. Just go fetch water and make the bed and that kind of thing. Just this poor little Israelite, little nothing girl that just kind of keeps talking about her Yahweh God. She sees her master Naaman going through this desperate, difficult time. and Her heart kind of goes out to him. You know, when people are desperate, they do weird things. They try experimental drugs. They say, well, there's this treatment. There's this doctor in South America. It's not approved, but I'm going to try it. Or I'll, I'll move to a dry climate. I'll, I'll even eat kale if I think it'll make me, you know, whole again. And she can sense how desperate he is. And so this little Jewish girl says one day in verse 2, she says, if only my master would see the prophets from Samaria... He would cure him of his leprosy, and this girl, this little girl has big faith, bold faith, right there. I know there's no cure for this, but you don't know my God. Remember, they're way over somewhere else. They're not in Israel right now. And Naaman, he didn't believe in God, not, not the one true God. He probably worshiped some frog god or some stuff that they did in those days, but he certainly He's never had any real God help him with anything. And that's how a lot of people look at their life today. You know, religion is the last place they would think to look when life spins out of control. I can handle anything. I don't need God. And if life does get tough, I don't look to religious stuff. Except this girl says, you need to know about my God. And he's got a representative around here. His name is Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha, the prophet. That's the one she's talking about. And he had been going all over. And you read the recent chapters in front of this, you know, all these amazing miracles that Elisha's doing in the name of God to demonstrate the power of God. You know, he's taking a, a widow's oil and multiplying it and feeding 100 people with a few loaves. And, and he actually raises a, a, a person from the dead. It's amazing. To show that God is alive in Israel. So doggone if Naaman doesn't listen to the servant girl. First good sign that he humbles himself a little bit. So he goes to his king and he says, hey, look, I know there's a, there's a prophet guy. It's over in Israel. I know it's Israel, but they say he's a good, he can do stuff. And I think I should check it out. And the king says, by all means, go. It's covered by our insurance. Get out of here. I'll help you out. And he loads him up with an entourage and supplies and money. And he says, I'm going to send you with a letter, which is sort of like the president of the United States sending a, a letter to the mayor of a tiny village in Haiti or something. But he writes this letter. Here's what it says in verse 6. It says, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so you may cure him of his leprosy. It's funny because when the king of Israel gets the letter, he totally freaks out. He tears his robes and he thinks, I'm done for. This is a up. He says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? This fellow sends someone to me to cure of leprosy. He says, totally panics because, you know, Naaman has a death sentence and the only one who could do anything about it is God. Elisha hears about it and says, calm down, king of Israel. Send him to me and I'll show him that God is real and God is able. In verse 9, 
Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, this keeps getting funnier to me. Kind of an awkward uh, scene, if you ask it. Kind of a hilarious moment. Here comes big man Naaman, right, with all his horses and chariots, all the limousines and the Secret Service guys with sunglasses, this big motorcade, orange vest guys out front going, clear the way. And they follow their GPS down this dusty road to this little hut with a, uh, a smoke coming out of the fireplace. And they're like, this is it? Nathan honks the horn, and they expect Elisha to come out and bow and scrape and say, Oh, great Naaman, what, what an honor to have you grace our village with your presence. How may I serve you? That's not exactly what happens. Verse 10, Elisha, who I picture as this shady kind of mysterious Obi-Wan Kenobi type, he just says, it says, Elisha sent a messenger Maybe because he didn't want to get leprosy or maybe because he's like, I got other stuff going or it was in the middle of, of, you know, Price is Right. I don't know. But he sends a messenger out and the messenger says to, the, to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now Naaman is furious. I come all the way out here and you send a farm boy out here with a message about me taking a bath? That didn't sit very well with him. And it says in verse 11 and 12 that Naaman, he actually went away angry. It's like, nuts to this. I thought, and I love that phrase, I thought, you ever, you ever think you know how God ought to do stuff more than God does? I thought, if I were God, I would do it this way. I thought, when we have our expectations about what God's supposed to do for us. And how he's supposed to do it. I thought, here's what's supposed to go down. I come here, and then he comes out. He calls on the name of his Lord as God. He waves his hand a certain way. He cures me of leprosy. That's what was supposed to happen. Are not the Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Anyway, couldn't I wash there and be cleansed? He has a whole different plan. And he goes off in a huff and a rage. Boy, he'd fit right in today, wouldn't he? He's deeply offended. Don't you know who I am? Well, he'd really fit in today. What we begin to see, anytime a person gets deeply offended, almost always, and I'm going I'm to offend someone by saying this, but very often we're taking ourselves more seriously than we ought. You see pride coming in in Naaman here. You want me to get in the water? The guy's got lepers. You want me to get in the water? Dip seven times and the Jordan, that scummy, dirty river? He's the whole package, but he's got holes in his one of the big holes he's got is pride. In fact, the thing standing between Naaman and his healing is Naaman. And the thing standing between you and your wholeness very often is you. Our pride can block us from God's grace, can it? The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like Naaman, we all, we need a break. We need help sometimes. We need grace. We need God. And the thing that stands between where you are now and where God wants us to be is very often just our stubbornness and our pride and our refusal to simply just like trust God and act. Well, ironically... It's once again one of his lowly servants that kind of talks him into some sense. Verse 13, some of his servants go to him and say, um, well, if that prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? 
I mean, you're a great man and everything, right? So how much more than when he tells you something as simple as just wash and be cleansed? I mean, if he told you to scale a high mountain or, or you know, sleep in the cold or fast for seven days or give a million dollars or stand on your head for seven days, you'd have done any of those things. He's not asking to jump off a cliff here, Naaman. He's asking to jump in a river. And Naaman begins to humble himself a little bit. And says, maybe I should give it a try. Verse 14, it says this. He went down, and I think there's actually a play on words there. It's down into the Jordan, but also he's humbling himself. He's coming off his high horse a little bit. And he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, just exactly like the man of God had told him. And guess what? His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy, the squeaky, rubbery, smell-good kind of skin of a baby's bottom. That's what he's got. He finally does what God said, and he was finally whole. This one who appeared to be the whole package but had holes is now really whole. Verse 15 says that Naaman went back to Elisha and he stood there and he said, now I know there's no other God but this one. There's a funny little quirky ending here. He he says, now please accept a gift from your servant. And he gets out his checkbook and begins to write because he thinks he's still in control. You know, he's going like, to pay the dues, pay the tax. He's going to buy a salvation and earn it the old-fashioned way. Elisha says, keep your money, Naaman. This is, this is on the house. This is not how this works. This is free. It's grace. It's him, not you. You are a leper. You've been healed. You don't write checks for that. God can. And finally, Naaman says, I will worship this God for the rest of my life. It's a great story. There, there's some powerful lessons for all of us in this. Number one, the number one lesson maybe might be this one, that there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. Right in the center of our heart, there's a God-shaped hole. Like you can feel it. You can feel that life's not perfect, that we're out of control, that there's stuff wrong Naaman, despite everything he had going for him, had this God-shaped hole. And leprosy was just a reminder to bring him to God. And whatever hole you've got that's aching, that you're trying to solve, that we, we look at the ways we try to fill the hole. It's like all the alcoholism and all the drug addiction and all of the stuff we experiment with, the highs and the adrenaline and the jumping in and out of bed with whoever we can find or all the good things we do to try to accomplish and be success and get married and get the perfect house with a picket fence or all that stuff. I don't know if we even realize it. We're just trying to fill the God-shaped hole inside of us. But nothing will fill that hole except God himself. Nothing. Augustine was the one who said, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, God. And I believe there's some restless hearts listening to me right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody thinks you're the whole package, but you know there's a hole inside. And only the grace of God through Jesus Christ will help fill that hole so you can feel whole again. The second lesson from this is that we're not in control as much as we think we are. We all know this, and maybe the pandemic did us a favor here, right, by helping us remember that lesson, that God is God, and we're not, and we just need help. We need, we need grace, and when you face your maker on your final day, you are not in control in that moment as you stand before you in the edge of eternity. We're not as controlled as we think we are. And third, 
Do what God says is a good lesson from this one. Do what God says. Here's this military commander who's used to barking out orders and getting victory who finds his peace when he waves the white flag and surrenders in trust to a God that he believes finally might know what he's talking about, a God who's good. So what's God calling you to do? What action? Not just some invisible faith feeling. What action? James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Think of all the times Jesus healed people, right? To show his mercy and grace, but he required an act of obedient faith in the process to teach us and to bring us along. Jesus actually healed 10 lepers one time. And all he said was, go and show yourself to the priest. And on the way, they were cleansed and healed. It wasn't until they demonstrated their faith in him through their obedience that they were healed. Did their walking heal them? No. Did their obedience heal them? No. Jesus healed them, but he wanted to see their faith in action. Last week, we talked about a man born blind from birth, John chapter 9, right? Jesus put mud in his eye and said, now go wash it off in the pool. The man could have said, that's dumb. Just heal me right here. You could do that. But he didn't. He went to the pool and he washed. Did the water heal him? No. Did his obedience heal him? No. Jesus healed him, but he wants to see our faith in action, and that opens up a floodgate of grace and blessing in our lives. Sometimes, my friends, you just got to jump in the river. You just got to do it because God said so. That's it. Just do it. What's your Jordan River? That thing that you know is right. You know it's good. God's asked you to do it. It's not that big in the scheme of things, but you're fighting it. You're like, mm, mm, no, I'm mad, or I'm done. that's dumb, I don't want to do it. It's hindering the work of God in your life. What is your Jordan River? For some, it might be like the confession of sin. That's a roadblock to you and the grace of God flowing through you. You just need to confess something and let him forgive you and move on. Or it might be an apology that you need to make. A reconciliation of a relationship or a step in faith you need to make. What's your Jordan River? Is it mending of a relationship? Is it some behavior that needs to change because you know God is asking you? Is it ask, you asking for help? What, what's your Jordan River? You know what, for some of us, I believe that for some of us, it's literally jumping in the river, jumping in the water of baptism. Not dipping in the Jordan seven times, but being baptized. Have you done that? This isn't something that the church made up. It isn't something Mountain came up with. This is actually something Jesus did, and then all his disciples did, and he commands all of us to do as well. Matthew 28, some of his last and most important words that he left with us that really drives the mission of what we're trying to do as a church comes down to this, Matthew 28. He says, all authority is given to me, and so here it is. Go and make disciples of everyone, all nations. How do we do it? What does it look like when I say yes to Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teach them everything to obey. That's why when a guy named Philip met this other important government leader in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the, he worked for the queen of Ethiopia, this big, important man. It's why their conversation went like this. Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 35 and following, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
Now, whatever the good news of Jesus was that he told leads to this. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave the orders to the chariot to stop, and then both Philip and the man went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the man did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. When a person finally stops asking, why should I, and changes to why shouldn't I, God's got a heart he can work with. That's why Paul will eventually just say in Acts 22, verse 16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away calling on his name. So, I mean, some of you probably need me to ask you that very same question. What are you waiting for? Today's your day. You're going to get up and you're going to call in the name of Jesus and have everything washed away and you will go away rejoicing as well. Uh, um, there, there's some families, the Forloin and the Coster families. They came to Christmas services at Mountain about a year and a half ago. And um, they said, you know, it just felt like immediately like we had finally come home. And it began a faith journey for them where they just began to grow so rapidly in their faith and strongly connect to God and one another. They began to talk about, every time they talk about an issue they were going through, they'd come and they'd say, the next service was exactly about that. Like everything was in sync that way and their faith is so alive. And their family grew to where everyone was kind of on their own journey with Jesus. And recently they went to Welcome to Mountain with some other friends and they all decided, we just want to get baptized. All of us have made their own decision, but let's do it together. And what a beautiful thing. Here's a picture of them down at the river. Not the Jordan River, but the, the uh, Gunpowder River, actually. And they were baptized just a few days ago, and they went home rejoicing as well. You can see how happy they are as a family. I want to give everyone an opportunity to do what they did right here and right now. All right? We're going to do that right now by being baptized. Dipping in the Jordan didn't save Naaman, but it's what God asked him to do. Being baptized won't save you, but it is what God asks you to do. And when Naaman humbled himself, it unleashed the floodgate of grace in his life for wholeness that he needed. And the same will be true for you if you will humble yourself and let God unleash his grace in your life as you surrender to the waters of baptism. It's an important and beautiful step. In just a moment, I'm going to walk in with the clothes I have on. Other campus pastors are going to get in the water that's right behind them and if you want the wholeness and the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the blessing of Jesus in your life, I invite you to cowboy up and just join me or one of the campus pastors in the water right now. You say, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I, I mean, I got to clean up some things. I got to iron some things out. I'm not, I don't Listen, friends, listen. Baptism is not a sign of maturity or perfection or arriving. It's a birth. It's a beginning, and if you believe that Jesus is Lord and you're ready to follow his lead for what's next, you're ready. You say, but I was already baptized when I was a baby. I don't want to insult my parents. Or can, can I, is it okay if I'm rebaptized? Absolutely, yes. If you were sprinkled as a child, so many hundreds and hundreds have said, you know, thank you, mom, dad, whoever, for holding me up when I was a little baby praying for me, what you meant for me, thank you. That planted seeds, and those seeds have grown, and I want to echo and affirm that decision by making my own to say yes to Jesus through this act of baptism today. You say, well, I couldn't do that. Why not? I mean, I couldn't do it today. Yeah, you could. You really could. 
Most of the baptisms in the Bible weren't pre-planned. But I don't have a towel. I got dozens and dozens of towels at every campus. Don't worry. Well, I don't have a change of clothes. Well, your clothes will dry. And did you notice how warm it is today? I mean, think about it. I wore something in light color and, reveal, and revealing. I don't want to, you know, that would be revealing. It's like, well, that would be a way to help people get back to church. But don't worry, we've got that covered and you covered too. I've got a shirt just like this one that you can put on in your size and we'll share one with everyone who gets baptized, okay? But I've got to drive home. I don't want to get my car seat sweat. It's like, we got a bag for you and you don't drive a Lamborghini anyway, all right? So get over it. What about my stuff, my cell phone, my wallet, my watch? Hand it to someone, or we'll put it in a bag, and we got a guy named Guido that'll watch it for you, hand it right back to you when you get out. But my family isn't here. Well, that's okay, because this really isn't between you and your family. It's between you and God. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Naaman really needed a new start. He needed wholeness. He needed healing. He needed help. And I bet some of us do too. So, what are you waiting for? Call on the name of the Lord, and if you need to be baptized today, we're all going to take a step of faith to whatever he's calling us to do. And if it's baptism, we'll see you in the water. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we come into this place and we ask you to join us wherever we may be, at home or in our services, and fill our hearts. And God, mostly, will you fill the God-shaped holes that we have within ourselves? Fill us up with your love and your healing and your hope. Minister to each one who's hurting today. And help us to follow through with our acts of surrender and obedience and trust and for those who have not been baptized, God, for those who need to take that step, thank you for this beautiful step of faith and for this invitation right now. And God, just work in their hearts and bring them where you want them to be. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.